Hello, Grace Church. Mark Wheeler here again, back for another week of our podcast. So happy to be with you again and uh, to be able to bring you some fresh content and to share with you what uh, what we're doing in our youth department. So happy to talk to you again. I know we've got some some great things coming um, and I know we're on the tail end of this stay at home order. Things are starting to open up. Um, and so we're we're very thankful for that. Um, we're grateful that uh, we can start to get back to some sense of normalcy. Um, and I'm so looking forward to seeing all of you again. And I hope this finds you well. Hope you and your family are doing well and staying safe and, and things are going OK for you. Um, so we are in the second week of our series called And Suddenly. And so throughout this series, we're taking a look at some of the and suddenlies of the Bible. Um, and we, we made a joke Wednesday. Uh, we titled it and suddenly dot 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 to make it a little bit more suspenseful. But we've been looking at some of the suddenlies in the Bible and how they have impact on our lives and how they've affected us. Um, and just to kind of get you caught up last week, we we talked about the suddenly of the angels showing up to the shepherds and announcing the birth of Jesus and about how Jesus is willing to show up and speak to any of us. And we're not exempt from demonstra- demonstration and divine visitation, regardless of where our calling, our status or pedigree is. If we're connected to God and we're actively working in our purpose, then we are perfect candidates for sudden visitation of the heavenly father. And that's wonderful news for each and every one of us. We're not exempt from that. And we should be expecting that, expecting the sudden to happen, expecting the wonderful thing that Jesus is going to do in us. So this week, we're going to take a look at another suddenly in scripture. And I hope you'll hope you'll enjoy this. We're going to be in Acts chapter nine. Uh, We're going to start at verse one and we're going to read through. It's a pretty familiar setting of scripture. Acts 9 and 1 says, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that he, if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly there's our suddenly and suddenly a light from heaven shone round about him and falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said, to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Rise and go into the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake, for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord who appeared to you on the road which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And he immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food. He was strengthened for some days. He was with the disciples at Damascus. 
So like I said, this is a pretty familiar setting of scripture. This is the Saul to Paul transformation. We know it as the Damascus Road where he has this experience with Jesus um, during his life of persecuting Christians. And we're going to get into a little bit more about that. But I just want to give you a little bit of a background on Saul. So Paul was actually a Greek speaking Jew from Asia Minor. He was born in a place called Tarsus. And his his trade that he learned uh, majority of the time people grew up during this time they learned a trade and they did something that could earn the money so he was actually a tent maker so he had a pretty universal trade he could set up shop anywhere with just a few tools and he could essentially have something to you know earn him some money some some currency at that time and and be an effective member of the economy and society there so he was a tent maker and later on in his life about up until about midpoint of his life really up until about this this transformation he was actually a pharisee so he was very very wise when it came to scripture when it came to the the things of god and tradition he was very wise as to what the scripture said and i think that plays a lot into into what what made this transformation so attractive to to if i can use that term there it's what made this transformation so attractive because paul in a sense he had the wisdom to understand the pharisaical side of it he had the wisdom to understand how they thought how they acted who they were but he also after this transformation we're going to see in scripture here in a little bit after this transformation he understands the common person because he's a tent maker so he has something that ties him to the everyday man, but he also has something to tie him to the religious elite. And so he's really the perfect voice of influence and the perfect tool that Jesus could use to reach both. And I think that's what, in a sense, makes makes this transformation, makes this change so wonderful, especially for Jesus. I mean, he goes from the guy that's persecuting his church, killing his people to the guy that's playing for the home team now who's on Jesus's side and is, is going to end up winning and being a pretty influential voice uh, throughout the, the entire New Testament. He's he's responsible for writing at least a third of it, but his inspiration is his, is well, well felt beyond just a third of the New Testament, maybe two thirds or if not the part of the entire thing. So he does have a very broad reach when it comes to the writing of the New Testament itself. And so Jesus is after Saul slash Paul for this transformation. And there's three things I want to show you about this transformation and this suddenly that happens up in verse three. I'll read that for you again. Now it says, now he went on his way and as he approached Damascus, suddenly, suddenly a light from heaven shone round about him. And we we talked last week about some some suddenlies. Uh, We mentioned how the the demonstration is usually going to follow the suddenly. And so as we read the scripture, look for the demonstration here to follow that suddenly, just like it did in the first suddenly that that we talked about last week. And so we in verse three, we see this sudden light from heaven shine right about him and he falls to the ground. And now he hears a voice and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what he does here is very interesting. Because he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? So something has to tie Saul at this point to Jesus for him to understand who it is when he speaks to him. He asks the question, who are you? But he also understands who he is. So one might think if you know him already, in a sense, the question, who are you, is really a question asking for a deeper revelation. And so Saul here in scripture 
having this understanding of who Jesus is from being a Pharisee and knowing the scripture, he asked Jesus the question, who are you? He essentially says, reveal yourself to me. He understands what, what he's in, the suddenly that he's in is something miraculous. So he says, reveal yourself to me. Show me who you are. I know your Lord. I got that part. I know your name, but show me who you are. And so Jesus says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. And then he goes on to give him further instruction, rise, go into the city and you'll be told what to do. Now, another point I want to show you in scripture here in, in verse seven, it talks about the men that were traveling with him. So last week we talked about the shepherds, the, the angel showed up initially and appeared to the shepherds and, and later a host of angels showed up and appeared to the shepherds. All three of the shepherds that were there saw the suddenly. But in this case, Saul slash Paul was really the only one who got the full picture of it because he he heard the voice speaking. He could hear him. Saul was having this experience. And that, now the guys that were traveling with him, verse seven says they stood there speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So they were in the presence of the suddenly, but didn't realize the magnitude. And so Saul slash Paul is on another level of the suddenly here. So, yeah, they got to witness a piece of it, but they didn't get the entire revelation of the suddenly. So there's a couple of things that I, I really want to want to break down to again. three main points that I, I want to get get you to help you understand throughout this scripture. The first is that suddenly is shocking. Suddenly is shocking. So we know that Saul at this point in time is in the business of persecuting Christians. He's not real big fans of them. He's doing everything he can to make their life difficult. He's even gone so far to kill Christians. So at this point, he's a murderer. There's blood on his hands of Christians because he thinks that they're they're partaking in false doctrine and false teaching and blasphemy. He thinks that they're going against the, the scripture as the way the Pharisees interpret it. So he's retaliating in the in the way that he sees fit. But he's angry and he's persecuting and killing Christians. And so usually if there's a bully, if there's somebody who causes problems, if there's somebody who's just extremely confrontational, majority of people do their best to just kind of keep their distance and to just kind of stay away from them. And in that they avoid a lot of issues. Right. But that's not what Jesus does here. Right. Saul is persecuting the people of Jesus. And so Jesus just confronts Paul straight up. He just confronts him. He says, you know what? You're persecuting my people. I'm going to show up to you. Now, the last person that Saul at this point was probably expecting to hear from was Jesus, the guy who he was persecuting. It's probably the last person that Saul expected to hear from. But that's exactly what happens in Scripture. So Saul is in the middle of a journey going to find and to capture more Christians and to bring them back to face persecution. And Jesus shows up. Suddenly. He sees this big light. And we see in scripture a lot of the time that Jesus himself is associated with light. And so some scholars believe that Jesus physically showed up on the road there himself and spoke to Paul slash Saul. And that further explains why the other people traveling with him could hear the voice but not see him because they weren't given access to see. Some scholars believe that and, and you can believe that if you choose and, and study that out for your for yourself. I won't tell you what to believe there. But some scholars believe that Jesus showed up to on the road and, and actually spoke to Saul 
Well, Jesus is sudden is, is associated with light in a lot of cases. And so Jesus shows up on this road and is talking to the person that is persecuting him and his people in his church. It's probably the last person that he expected to hear from. But here we are. And Jesus is asking him some questions. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my people? See, what Jesus wanted the entire time was relationship with Saul. He wanted to redeem him. And we see that through scripture. We know how the story ends. We have the benefit of seeing things from from the outside in. And so we know eventually he goes through this transformation. And so everything that Jesus does here is on purpose. He does it strategically. He shows up to Paul and he puts him in this process. The last person that Saul expected to see showed up, spoke to him, blinded him, put him in a pretty uncomfortable position and says, you've persecuted my people. Now you're going to be blinded, go into the city and they'll tell you what to do. So now Saul is in this situation where he's blinded. He just had an encounter with the heavenly father that he was actively persecuting. He's probably pretty confused. And now he has to go into a city and wait until he's told what to do next. So he does exactly what Jesus told him to do. He goes into the city. He's, he's led there. And it says for three days, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, but he prays. For three days, he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, but he prays. At this point in time, Saul asked for revelation. And Jesus said, go into the city and pray. If you really want to know who Jesus is, if you really want a deep, a fresh, a new revelation of the father, it's only going to come through prayer and fasting. Because I believe that it's in the prayer, it's in the fasting that Saul did in these three days that Jesus starts to work on some things with him. He leads him through a path of repentance. He leads him through a path of understanding the word, of understanding the realness of who he was. He leads him through all this, through this, through this three day period of prayer and fasting. And so now on the other end, Saul is ready to receive the spirit. We know at the end of the story, Ananias comes lays hands on him, he receives his sight, and he's later filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, he had to go through a process of repentance. He had to go through a process of repentance. The Holy Ghost is only poured out when there's true repentance, death to self. Jesus laid out the plan of salvation, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and he's not going to deviate from it. So if, if Saul is going to receive the Holy Ghost, he has to go through a season of repentance. He has to humble himself. He has to come to a point to where he humbles himself and he submits himself to the will of the father and not the will of himself and not the will of his tradition. And so at some point in time, we don't see it exactly in scripture where it happens, but at some point in time, Saul does get to a point to where he humbles himself. And this is a lesson each and every one of us have to learn. The Bible instructs us to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and he will exalt us in due time. But the thing about that is, if we don't learn to humble ourselves, Jesus will do it for us. See, Saul was in a position to where he had a little bit of authority. 
He had obviously rubbed the, the right shoulders. He had a relationship enough with the high priest to get this authority to come in to persecute the Jews, to persecute the people who believed. And so he may have had a little bit of arrogance going on. He didn't humble himself before the mighty hand of God, so Jesus had to do it for him. T.F. Tenney said said this. It was a wonderful quote. I'm pretty sure he tweeted it and it, it's been shared hundreds of probably thousands of times. But he said the Bible tells us that we have to humble ourselves. That's our job. And if we insist on doing God's job, then he'll do ours. Meaning that if we don't humble ourselves, Jesus will do it for us. And let me give you a pro tip. It's a lot easier for us to humble ourselves than to have Jesus do it for us. Life will be a lot easier if we can learn to humble ourselves now, if we can learn to lay down the things that we struggle with now, if we can learn to focus on the kingdom, if we can learn to seek the kingdom first, like we're instructed to, if we can learn to humble ourselves and submit to the father and be obedient to the authority that he sets up in our life, things will be a lot easier down the line and we won't have to experience the type of suddenly that Saul did. We won't have to experience the difficult suddenly where we're blinded and put in an uncomfortable position and we're forced into submission. If we won't humble ourselves, then God will do it for us. Next thing I want to show you suddenly make sure you remember your past, embrace the present and open yourself to the future. And make sure you remember your past, embrace the present, and open up yourself to the future. So Saul had to have a memory of what he did. He understood what he was coming to Damascus to currently do. He was coming to persecute and ultimately, more than likely, probably kill some Christians because they were, quote unquote, believing false doctrine. He had to have a memory of what his past was. Now, if he's going to be transformed, he can't dwell there. And he has to embrace where he is now. He has to embrace the suddenly. He has to embrace the experience that he just had with the father. He has to embrace this time, this season of prayer and fasting that he's in. And it ultimately is going to open himself to the future. He has to remember where he came from. Understand where he is. And get an idea and get the vision of where he's going. And I think Jesus does all of this. This is just Mark talking to you. I think Jesus does all of this throughout this three three day prayer fasting time. I think Jesus, he has some time where he can talk to Saul, give him fresh revelation, give him fresh understanding, help him understand that what he did in his past was wrong and give him the space and opportunity to repent. Just like he does each and every one of us. He gives a space and opportunity to repent. No matter how difficult the sin. He helped him to embrace his present, understand where he is, understand, look, I know where your past was, but here we are now. I'm giving you the opportunity of reconciliation. Let's restore this relationship. I want to reconcile. I want to restore you unto myself. And then I have a future for you. We see that in scripture where Ananias is feeling a a little bit, uh, uneasy about going to talk to the to the Christian killer here and 
if, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably would be, too. If there's someone who's persecuting Christians and Jesus is like, I, I want you to go talk to them. I'm sure you're going to pray about it for a little bit. And then Ananias does the same. He has a pretty uneasy feeling about it. But he does hear from the Lord. And he says, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And that's going to become a major part in the story later on in the in the New Testament. When the disciples get together and decide that this message is for the Jews only. But Paul speaks up and says, no, this is for the Gentile. This is for everyone. See, Jesus was orchestrating this entire thing. He understood that Paul was going to be able to be an effective voice in spreading the gospel to the entire world, just like Jesus had instructed. And if you study it out in scripture, it actually gets pretty tense in those kind of moments. There, Some disciples almost come to come to some blows here. Uh, my brother Joshua, he, he taught a very, very cool lesson on Paul and his favorite his favorite line or my favorite line that he said out of that entire series was Paul is a gangster. And to an extent, he was. I mean, he was ready to he was ready to throw down over the fact that the gospel is meant for everyone and not just for the Jews. See, Paul understood what we have to understand. In the eyes of Jesus, there is no one greater. There's not a person, male, female. There's not a race, black, white, Hispanic, Asian. Jesus understands the variety, the character, the culture that he gave us, but he doesn't see us any different. And the message is for everyone. Paul understood that. And I think Jesus orchestrated it that way. He knew from the very beginning before the transformation was complete that Paul would be an instrument to carry his gospel to the entire world. And to help break down the ideas and even some of the racial prejudice that some of the disciples may have had themselves, that the message was only for those that acted and believed and looked the way that they did. Jesus was breaking down that barrier, even here in Scripture. He helped them embrace his past, forgave it, cleaned it up. Embrace the present, understand where he is, and to open himself to the future that he had. See, what Jesus does here is he relieves us of the excuse of using our past as to why we can't serve the kingdom. Because if he can take someone who killed Christians, who persecuted his people, I'm not a parent, but I'm a student minister. And if something happens to one of my young people, I'm not going to be a very happy camper. Not going to be happy about that. I can't say I'm going to respond like a parent would because I don't know what parenthood is like. But in my mind, I'm going to respond probably as close to a parent as I can. I'm going to stand up for the for the people that I care about. And Jesus is the same way. And so when you take someone who is hurting the people that he cares about. And they're doing it to him. Anything that's done to his children is done to him. When he's hurting those people, it hurts Jesus. But Jesus says, but I'm willing to forgive that. 
even what we see as the worst of sins, Jesus is willing to forgive. And anyone. And that includes you. There's no sin in your life that can't be forgiven. There's no circumstance in your life. There's no there's no situation that can't be reconciled and forgiven to the point to where you can't serve the kingdom. So what Jesus does in the Saul to Paul transformation on the Damascus road is he's relieving us of all of the excuses we may have to serve the kingdom. Oh, well, Jesus, I did this. He says, that's OK. I'm willing to forgive. Oh, we, you don't understand how bad it was. That's OK. I'm willing to forgive. If he's willing to forgive Saul, he's willing to forgive you. Next thing I want to show you. Suddenly requires action. Suddenly requires action. Just like we talked about last week, the shepherds, once they experienced their suddenly, they went and saw where Jesus was. They took action. And Saul, now Paul, does the exact same thing here in Scripture. If you continue to study this out after this transformation, after this conversion, after his experience and revelation of who God is and the infilling of the Holy Ghost that Paul receives, he goes on a all out mission. And if you know anything about Paul, he was a kind of guy that was a little bit rough around the edges. When he believed, he believed hard. As you can probably tell from him murdering Christians, he believed they were wrong. So he went to the fullest extreme. But now he's redeemed and saved by grace and he has a message to carry. And he doesn't lose an ounce of his fire. He doesn't lose an ounce of his passion. And so he goes after everyone. Everyone he can. With the same passion, with the same fire. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted. Paul took action. He understood where he was in his life. After this experience with Jesus, he knew what he did was wrong. He went through a season of repentance. He reconciled his differences with Jesus. He forgave him. He was filled with the spirit. And then he got active in the kingdom. His suddenly transformed his entire life. It changed his entire worldview. But the thing that it didn't change was his passion. It didn't change his action. He was willing to go. He was willing to reach. He was willing to preach. He was willing to help and to serve wherever he could. Anything he could do to carry the gospel, he was willing to do it. And we ultimately see that by his letters to the churches and, and, and the influence that he carries in the entire New Testament. The people that were touched by his ministry. And even us today. The influence of Paul still lives in us. When we read the letters to the churches and we find our inspiration and, and we, we find strength and we take our wisdom and our knowledge and our understanding from the difficulties and the wisdom that Paul shared. Even today, his action is still remembered. 
But what's this story really about? Because, yeah, the suddenly is great. Paul writing a bunch of the New Testament is great. But if you really think about it, if Jesus needed somebody to reach the Gentiles and to help spread the message throughout the entire world and to write a bunch of the New Testament, he could have just gave inspiration to one of the other guys. What I think this is about, I think this points directly to God's redemptive power. His pursuit of each and every one of us with reckless abandon and with unlimited grace. See, I think Jesus goes after Saul because he needed the world to know. I'll come back. And get you from wherever you are. No matter how far you've gone. No matter what you've done. No matter who you were. My grace can reach you. And if it takes a suddenly to do it. I'm willing. And I want you to understand today. No matter where you are. What mistakes you've made, what situation of life you find yourself in. Jesus will come running after you with all the grace that you need. He's running after you. With arms open wide, ready to receive you back into himself. See, yeah, the transformation is great. The story ends well. Paul writes a lot of the New Testament, although he he wasn't without persecution. Life just didn't just get easy. He had to face some difficulties and he understood that. And so will we. We have to face some difficulties in life. But Jesus never disqualified him from grace because of his mistakes. And yes, it may have taken a suddenly to get Saul slash Paul to realize it. But Jesus was willing to do it. And he's willing to do that for you. Whatever it takes. Jesus is willing to come after you. See, this transformation is a testament to God's grace and mercy. Saul took advantage of it. The question is, will you? Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your mercy, your grace. We know that it's never ending. We know that you never stop pursuing us, even in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our mistakes. You're coming after us. And we're so thankful for that. You pursue us with all that you are. And we're thankful, Jesus. For your grace, your love, your mercy. And even when we don't always realize it, Jesus, even when we're hard headed and we don't want to realize it and we don't want to follow you. I thank you for the suddenlies that you put in our life, the things that you put in our way. God, that may seem inconvenient and uncomfortable for us at the time, but the things that you're working to get us back to where you need us to be. God, I ask that you would help us to realize those things. Help us to humble ourselves before you, Jesus. 
Help us to submit ourselves to your kingdom, to your rule, to your reign. Help us to submit ourselves to the authority that you've positioned in our life. And help us, Jesus, to take advantage of the grace that you give us. Let us not take it for granted, Jesus, but let us take advantage of the opportunity that you give to reconcile ourselves to you in repentance and baptism in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And to draw ourselves closer to you in everything that we are and everything that we do. Continue, Jesus, to help us. Continue to help us grow. Ask that you would keep your hand over every family, every person listening. Help us continue to get through this pandemic safely. We ask for your protection, your strength, your peace over us. In Jesus' name, amen.